You are listening to the Always Alighting Podcast with your host, Ashika. This podcast is dedicated to soulful conversations around self-growth, personal development, and finding alignment. You will hear from guest speakers, experts, and solo episodes from myself as we educate, empower, and inspire you to navigate your own journey of self-growth. Love and light, always aligning listeners, and welcome back. This is your host, Ashika, and you are tuning into episode 16. Now, it's been a hot minute since I released an episode on always aligning, so I thank you for your patience. But let this serve as an example. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. I definitely started to just struggle with the podcast roulette, as I like to call it, between recording and, uh, well, firstly, scheduling, recording, editing, creating graphics, writing content, and I slowed down. And you know what? That's okay. The What matters is that I am focused on progress over perfection and offering value in every single episode no matter if it's a few few weeks delayed and I'm really committed to building out always aligning into a more sustainable show for next year the goal is to really build out the team bring on another set of hands to help me with the back end and with post-production something I definitely struggle with and to really grow you know this is not a one-off this is a lifestyle this is my passion this is my baby and I'm taking you guys along for the ride. So this introduction and this really honest, vulnerable share is to keep you posted, keep you in the loop. And, you know, if you were wondering, hey, what happened? Why haven't we heard from you in several weeks? Well, there you go. Now, you know. So thank you for being here with me and coming back week after week, show after show. I appreciate it so much. It is truly your messages, shares, support reviews that keep me going so please know that every time you reach out to me it means the world to me now on to today's episode today's episode features guest author and podcast host Anika Sharma if you're a part of my digital community on Instagram you have seen me share Anika Sharma's new book love chai and other four letter words I mean this book is meant for me featuring some of my favorite things. If you haven't read it already, go out there and get yourself a copy because you are going to love it. Anika is also the co-host of popular podcast, The Woke They See. In this episode, you will learn about Anika's story of alignment. She has been a writer for a very long time and to hear how that has translated into her published author career is so fascinating. You will also learn how she manages multiple roles with a full-time job, a podcast, and writing. And spoiler alert, it's not that easy. I commend Anika for her vulnerability and honesty in this episode, and I hope that also resonates with you. This is also a great episode for anyone that has dreams of writing anything at any point, especially a book and key tips and tricks to help you get started and put yourself out there. No, Anika's story is going to inspire you and I'm so excited for you to dive in. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Always Aligning and to continue to support this show, please consider sharing it with your community or with a friend. Your shares really matter and I appreciate you taking the time to do that.
Anika, congratulations on the release of your first book, Love Chai and other four-letter words. It's all of the things that I love so much, love and chai. How does it feel to be a published author? Thank you so much for having me. And it feels good. It's almost like a weight off right now off my shoulders and such a just enormous achievement. It feels like in a lot of ways, this book has gone through a lot, which I think we'll probably get into. So just the fact that it's finally in bookstores, it feels like the weight of the world just came off my shoulders and I feel a heck of a lot better that it's out there now. (laughs) Amazing. Well, it's definitely real. It's tangible. I have my own copy and I can't (laughs) wait to dive in. Um, Tell us a little bit about the book. So it's the first in a series. The series is called The Chai Masala Club. And the first book is obviously Love Chai in Another Four Letter Words. And it features Kiran and Nash. And Kiran is a new transplant from India. By new, I mean about 10 to 15 years. And she is in New York City. And her family has gone through a lot of drama in the past with her sister falling in love with somebody who is different than her family. And so because of that, she has sworn that she won't fall in love because she's already seen what it can do to her family. And Nash has a whole lot of family baggage. He is a new transplant to New York from Nashville, and he's not particularly well-traveled. He's a little bit narrow-minded. He doesn't really know a whole lot yet about the world and what it has to offer, but he's had his own family drama and his own baggage to carry and trauma to carry. And because of that, he this is his big step was moving to New York. And so the two of them become friends. And then the rest of it is just how they have to redefine what love and family and home really look like. And it's all set against a a bucket list and the New York City nightlights and uh, magic and just all the wonderful things that New York has to offer. It sounds like the perfect book to like cuddle up on the couch on the weekend and just enjoy and read and maybe even pack on a summer vacation. Is any of the story inspired by your own real life or anything you experienced or where did the story get inspired from? Not the love story. I can definitely (laughs) attest to that. I met my very Indian husband on Hinge. So we did not have any kind of remarkable love story in terms of one for the ages and books, even if it's my favorite story personally. Although I think finding love through an app is a remarkable love story. I think love in general has been remarkable, especially given this last year and all the things that all of us have been through to be able to see positivity and beauty in somebody and not immediately either jump to outrage or to feel loss is already a step in the right direction. So I will take any love story at this point. Yeah, that feels Mm -hmm. like a victory and feels like the best story ever. But, you know, I think in terms of it being inspired by real life, I moved to the day I moved to New York and found an apartment was the day that I landed this book deal. So I was literally walking on a a street near the Roosevelt bridge and my literally right by the trolley station. And my agent called me and said, Hey, you just got a book deal offer for three books. And there, you know, we had already discussed how it was going to be a South Asian series with South Asian friends. And So in those moments, I thought, okay. And then I actually rewrote this book three times because my editor was who had signed me kept saying, this isn't completely sticking the landing here, but her feedback was also kind of hands off. And so as I was trying to move through it, every time I'd produce a story, she'd be like, oh, this might not be it either, but she couldn't figure out what she wanted and I couldn't figure out what she needed. So 
we rewrote it three times. And the third time, by the time I wrote it, she actually was moving publishing houses from one to a different one. And so she passed me off to one of her fellow editors who really liked the book. And that's the editor that I finished the entire process with. Mm. And so through these rewrites, I was experiencing what New York was like and learning to love it. Something that a lot of people don't know about me, I recently posted about it on social media, is that New York terrified me and I have never wanted to live here growing up. I maybe oh, when maybe? I was a teenager or a young teen. Yeah, but it was loud and people were not always that friendly and it was too fast and too oh, much no. and too overwhelming. And I was like, what? Why does anyone want to go there? And then in my 30s. I, or like- I have to say as a New Yorker, I take such offense to that because we are very friendly people. <laughs> I see that very now. Friendly. But it's like a different kind of friendly versus a conventionally friendly, like central Pennsylvania, which is where I'm from, or like Midwestern kind of friendly. That's a little bit of a different game. It's slightly, it's very different moving here. The culture in New York is definitely different. It's very friendly now. Mm-hmm. And I have learned to love it, but it's a shock for someone who has not grown up here or been here from the start. And so I can see that. Yeah. So growing up, whenever we'd bring our family to New York to see the Statue of Liberty or do all the tourist things, I was always like, when can we go back home or I will go to any other city. And so this was, it's so funny that one of the reviews I got from one of the publications in literature was saying, this reads like a love story to the streets of New York. And I thought this couldn't be more accurate, but it's very funny that you say so, because it very much was as I was going through each of these rewrites a love story that was developing because now I can't imagine moving to a different city. And I think that that same thing is met with through Nash's eyes as he's growing to love New York and falling in love himself. And also Kira, and as she kind of explores a city that she's been living in for quite some time, but never really explored on a level that was just fun and not your day to day and more touristy and, you know, just kind of silly. And I think that that element definitely was influencing the book Um, As I was falling in love, they were falling in love with the same city and also Mm -hmm. the friendships that Garen has. So the whole Chai Masala Club is actually focused on four friends and three of them are going to get a book of their own. All of them are going to have love stories. And those three, four friends are not based specifically on any friend of mine, but are probably a combination of all the people that I have in my life who are bold and funny and talk reason into you when you're about to do something stupid or talk stupidity into you when you're being too rigid and Mm. who are just lights of life and who really give you the found family feeling of, okay, I might be away from my family, but I still have one here. And so that element was also really influenced um, from real life. Yeah, sure. I love to learn a little bit about this because I think as creators or creative people, you know, many times there's this um, inherent pressure that we apply of coming up with something supremely original. And I've learned through all of my different creative expressions through life that there are original um, ways of saying things, but in essence, they all are very similar. The feelings, the emotions of love and friendship. And it is so difficult to separate the art from the artist. You know, the artist does leave their impression on the art, whatever form that is, right? Whether it's my podcast or your book, um, but one way or the other, there is something about the person's life, the creator's life that is 
rubbing off on the thing that they are creating. So I always love to learn that backstory. Now, Anika, your background is not in writing. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background and most importantly, how you've been able to pivot and create this creative life for yourself. It's really interesting because I think that we often have these strings of common experiences that run through your whole life, but it's really a matter of just sort of sewing them all together and figuring out how it can tie together in a seamless way and aligning them together. (laughs) And it's often something that you, it takes a lot of self-examination, but it's also things that you're naturally geared toward anyway, you're built for it, you're born for it in some regard. And so with writing, yeah, I don't have a professional background in writing. And by that, I mean, I'm obviously a professional writer. I've debuted books and I've now have, I have an agent, a publisher, but it's more, I don't have an MFA. I did not go to school for writing. I actually went to school for, I have two bachelor's degrees in biobehavioral health and neuropsychology, and I have two master's degrees in education and uh, public health. And they're all maternal and child health focused. So, and reproductive health focused. So it's not really the most creative field in that regard. I think that they were always my, okay, this is my background. This is my backup also. And I do genuinely love them. I, I hoped to cultivate a day job out of them. And I have, but I began feeling more and more and more of a call toward writing as I was going through college. And then at 25, I finally had this breakup. And I think it always takes something monumental like that to really kick you in the butt and make you move toward your purpose a little bit more. It always takes some sort of complete and total unraveling of something to really expose what you're meant for meant for sometimes. And that breakup was the start of my first book, which was called The Rearranged Life. And I had no idea how to publish a book. I just knew that I'd been writing my whole life. And this time I wanted to do a book. And so I wrote this manuscript. It was actually entirely too long for the either romance genre or the women's fiction genre. And I ended up hacking it in half and then polishing the first half. And then I had to look up how to become a writer and (laughs) um, or how to become an author. And a lot of the stuff said, okay, get an agent. So I thought, okay, fine, I'll get an agent. And so I just started submitting blindly to agents. And I mean, obviously I did my research in terms of who was looking for what and things like that, but it was a very healthy sense of, okay, cool. I want to be a writer. I'm going to go be a writer. And it was, there was no like, am I good enough? Have I earned this? Is, am I, do I belong here? It was very much. No imposter syndrome. None. And I think that that was actually really, I think that sets in later. I actually think that it sets in after you've gotten past a certain point. And so I was in the gap between my master's degree and um, finished. I was working for about a year post-college and I had written the book during that time and post-breakup. And then I started my master's degree. I didn't do anything with it, with the book, because I was just busy with school. And I was actually a teacher while I was submitting to agents. I was a teacher while I was getting my first book deal. And then I missed healthcare again. So I went back and did my MPH and the MPH coincided with my move to New York with my second book deal, which is now the one that's getting released. And also with me pulling the rights on my first book. And Mm. so when you look at my career, it's gone from healthcare to education, to writing, to writing and healthcare concurrently. And now hopefully down the line, right back to writing alone. And so 
when you look back over all of that, I don't think that writing was always a part of everything. It was always the the common string that I was saying that has driven its way through all of my life, but I didn't take it on professionally until later. And it definitely didn't involve degrees and it didn't involve, um, you know, chasing down different, it didn't really involve like me getting professional credentials in it. It was just something that I did as a passion project. And then it just kind of kept going and moving. And now it's become the central pivot, like central pillar in my life. Yeah. I love what you said about imposter syndrome. It's something that I've really learned um, and studied deeper, especially in the coaching work that I do, is that that first instinct that you usually have, you know, to do something or show up in a certain way is your inner intuition really guiding you towards what is your dharma in life and what is your purpose in life. And and that's why, you know, as as a coach, you know, I always start and say, well, what is the thing that you did as a child for fun? You know what? Because children just act in a space of fun. If it brings them joy, they do it. And if it doesn't, they just don't do it. Right. And like I look back at my life, I used to hold a mic when I was three, you know, and did I know then like, oh, this is going to be my career. or This is what I'm going to want it to be my career. Probably not. But I had there was that inner knowing and I was getting that download and that, that inclination, even though we couldn't make sense of it. So it's like you said, you know, you were always writing and you've even written professionally, even if it's writing of a different topic in a different industry, but the premise was that of writing, which in essence is a creative expression. It's an art form that comes from you, how it shows up in your life will keep changing. And I'm sure 10 years from now when we're speaking, it might evolve into something completely different, right? But it's it's so beautiful to understand that, you know, it's almost like imposter syndrome. It's, it's our own mindset block, right? Because we are doing the thing. It's our mind playing these tricks and saying, but are you really yeah. a writer? And are you really a host? Um, but yeah, intuition is guiding you. So the more we just lean into that intuition, the more we can figure it out, you know, and again, it'll keep changing how it shows up in our life, but that guidance is there. So thank you for sharing that and really highlighting that, that point as well. Thank you. Yeah. One of the things that you just said that really was resonated was just the idea that imposter syndrome is often a mind block and it's like goalposts that we're constantly moving for ourselves. Like when I get X, I'll consider myself Y, but then you get to that point And then you're like, well, let me move those goalposts a little more because it took me a long time to say I was a writer because I thought, well, I write, but I'm not doing it professionally. So I'm not a writer. Then right. when I submitted it to agents and I got my agent, it was like, well, I'm not an author yet. So I can't call, me, call myself an author. And then I got the book deal and I was like, well, I don't have a body of work. I have one book. And so now I'm moving these further and further. And I think that it's only doing more detriment, particularly as women, because we often have so many roadblocks against us anyway. One of the things I recently, one of the pieces of literature I recently read was about how confidence in women peaks, or actually not even peaks. It feels like we're equal to men at the age of 40 on a professional mm. level, which means that we spend two decades, for better or worse, on not feeling like enough and constantly moving those goalposts and never saying I have a seat at the table and I own my space in the world. And sure. I think imposter syndrome is one of those things that feeds into that. It's something that we 
all experience partially because we're conditioned to, we're conditioned to doubt ourselves in those situations. And it is a mind block because the reality is that we are doing great and that we do belong there. And that if you write, you are a writer. It doesn't have to matter where the medium is. And yeah, you, absolutely. If you author work, you're an author. That's really as right. where it is. It doesn't matter if it's on a medium article or if it's on a blog or if it's on a published book that's at Barnes and Noble. It doesn't matter. Whatever you do, whatever you write, if you're if you author something, you are an author. Yeah. And it's it's a tough it's a tough fight with ourselves to get to that place. Yeah, and I think women go through it so much more because we are programmed or conditioned. And of course, the social constructs um, tell us that we need this external validation, right? That we need to have the job like the man or the same pay as the man and, you know, have access to the same opportunities. So it's constant feeding up this external validation that gives us our worth. But when we decide that we are worthy as is, um, as is, right? Just today, I am worthy as is. And then we start to appreciate the things that we do and give ourselves the title, right? We spend so much of our lives seeking that title from elsewhere because of the where we are programmed. But once we say, well, I'm going to give myself this title. And we also kind of release the ego that's attached to the title, right? Like you're right. We can all be a writer. We may not be a published author. Or we may not be a New York Times bestseller author or, you know, paid for it, but we can still be the author. And if we love it, we'll continue to do it. And if we don't like it, we'll probably stop doing it. But yeah, it's all of that external validation that really gets in the way that tells us that um, we are not worthy until somebody else tells us we are. So here's hoping that we can keep breaking that myth and owning all of the wonderful things that we are capable of doing. Now, Adika, I don't personally know many published authors, so I would love to dive in and understand how does even someone get on this path? Like, are there steps? Is there a step one, step two? Can you tell us a little bit about the process? The first thing I would say for any person who writes who's hoping someday to be published is to write your work. So many of the messages that I've gotten, even in this last week since the book has released, and then prior to that, of course, was I really want to write a book. Where do I start? And I was like, your answer is in your question. Write your book. Mm -hmm. And they would say, well, how? How do I know what's going to sell? And I kept thinking, no, no. Now you're thinking three steps ahead. And you've lost your actual vision for your story because you're thinking about what's going to sell and you're lost. You're going to lose your voice in that process. And the most important thing about writing is your voice. So ultimately, I would say to anybody, write the story first, worry about everything else afterward. Mm. So that's your step one, bar none. And every single person is going to tell you the same thing. Come up with your concept and your writing first. And second, de decide what values you hold close to you for publication. I actually had to have this conversation recently with a friend of mine who also asked me the same question. And it was a little bit of a shock to the ego in some ways too, because she said, what do you, and I had never even thought about some of the questions that she asked. She said, what do you value? Do you value seeing your book in bookstores and thinking you wrote it? Because in that case, you can carry the book that you published into a bookstore and take a picture there in a bookstore and not have it be any different. And then she said, or is it that you want a paperback copy of your book? Are you okay with an ebook? Are you okay with getting paid as an advance? Do you want that? Or do you want to be paid based on every copy that sells? Do you care about broad reach and marketing and being famous? Or do you care more about 
putting the work out there and saying, okay, it's out in the world. That's all I really needed at the end of the day. Mm. Do you want to have a full-time writing job down the line? Or do you want to be someone who balances a day job and loves their day job and succeeds at it? And this is 100% a side hustle that can stay a side hustle. And all of those things are not things that you have to figure out right away, but they're considerations whenever you're thinking about your next step, because that's going to lead you to decide whether self-publishing is for you or whether going down the agent route is for you. And I can only speak to the agent route if I'm being completely candid. Self-publishing, when I first started in 2015, was just picking up a lot of speed. A little book called Fifty Shades of Grey ended up really Mm -hmm. changing the market and the complete ability to take off and be very successful. And a couple of other books that were also self-published ended up doing extraordinarily well. And people started realizing, oh my gosh, this is a viable thing to do. And publishers themselves began to see this as, oh my gosh, there are very, very talented writers out there who self-publish. I can't speak to a lot of that, but self-publishing does give you more creative freedom. Mm. You get to seek out your own editors. You get to have far more input into the cover process of a book because as we all know, especially with literature, a book is fully judged by its cover. And Mm. so it's a one place where that's kind of okay to do that. And so (laughs) You really want someone who can nail the cover of your book. And so self-publishing gives you a lot of that freedom. Financially as well, you tend to make more per book. That's not always the case, but you can make more per book sold because you don't need to worry about paying out an agent. You don't worry about getting an advance. So you kind of start making money right away. And it, depending on the success of your book, which could be immense, um, then you know you you have more control over all of those elements. But that's really all I know about self-publishing. In terms of getting an agent, every agent in every genre has their own requirements and they all have a wish list. The funniest thing is social media is huge, obviously with Instagram and Facebook and the theoretical branding and marketing and all of that. Twitter is the place for writers. So Mm. Twitter is the place where if you want to get published, that's where you're going to find your community. Every single one of my writing friends, people who have all been published since, we all met on Twitter. We then eventually met in conferences and now we have real life friendships. But Twitter is the best place to go because agents will often put up manuscript wish lists, which are like an agent saying, I really want a story about an Indian girl who started a podcast about aligning her, all of her values in her life. And hey, all people, and what is that? Twitter I, I need to write that down. <laughs> and she'll tag it and she'll say it. And then, then you, as your writer who has this brilliant idea, can go in and look and search for her manuscript wish list and then find agents who are specifically looking for that. So, so one second, to, to yeah. backtrack, you recommend people go on Twitter and follow agents to see what they're posting about these manuscript wish lists. And they can yeah. find these agents just, you know, from Googling and searching, correct? Yeah. Yeah. On Twitter, you can find um, agents just by I looking didn't them know up. This. They encourage that. They encourage it. I actually, I found my agent through a pitching event. So one of the things that they do on Twitter that a lot of people who are outside of the literary community might not know is that they'll do these different events for different genres and they'll do like a pitch madness event. And so it'll be hashtag pit mad and you'll have to, on a certain day of the year, you know, a couple of times a year, they'll organize this event where you can pitch your work in progress, your manuscript in as many characters as Twitter allows 
and hashtag it with like your genre, with women's fiction, with young adult, whatever it is that you're writing in. And if agents see that pitch, that single tweet, and they like it, then that's an open invitation for you to send the manuscript over to them or like the sample pages over to them because they've actually sought you out and said, hey, Ashka, I really like your self-help book idea. I really want to see it. So send it over to me and mark in your subject line that I found you on Twitter. And I actually did that with my agent. I pitched out a romance. The Rearranged Life was a romance and I pitched it. And she said, I'd love to see this. And I emailed it and I bumped the list. And then she said, I want to see the rest of it because I gave her a sample chapter is the first mm. first five. And she, and it was like, a, I had to send a, a query letter, which is a pitch letter. It's like half a page. And then I sent a synopsis, a dry cut and dry one page, point A to point Z synopsis of what was happening in my book. And then five chapters to her. And then from there, she read, she asked for the whole manuscript and then she offered representation seven months later. So Twitter is the place to be. It, you can follow agents, you can follow fellow writers, and there's a lot of insights into not only what sells, but what tropes are really popular, what tropes aren't. Um, there's a lot of information about like being politically correct and being inclusive and being kind when you're writing as well. So that way you don't go wrong. Let's say you write an Asian character and you use a really bad misrepresentation of Asian culture in some way. Those are all points of information you can find on Twitter. So that's, if that's a, that's a loose, that's like a one a on the step list, I think um, Mm -hmm. is like get on Twitter and find out you can lurk if you want to lurk, but you can also be actively involved with the writer community and that's where everybody is. Um, Great. Yeah. And then so with with agent, with getting an agent, everybody on their websites, you can just Google and they have um, recommendations and requirements for what they want to see from you if you pitch it. But most of the time, I will say on first work, they want the whole thing done. So you're going to have to have a whole manuscript ready to go. And then you have to write the pitch letter, the synopsis, and then whatever sample pages. Sometimes that's literally one chapter. One chapter that they want, they'll, they'll judge whether they want to represent you or see the rest of the book on or not. And then um, sometimes it's five chapters and they want to see then the full book. To go back to what you were saying, uh, you started talking about the self-publishing and the benefits. I'm curious, what are the benefits of the agent? The agent will get you in the door to bigger houses. Um, And they manage a lot of your career in terms of the, the kind of the, the advances that you get are often much bigger if an agent is negotiating them for you. There are imprints, which are like divisions of publishing houses that handle certain genres. So for example, Sourcebooks, which is my publisher, has Sourcebooks Casablanca, which is the romance line. And then they have Sourcebooks Fire. And then they have like two or three different groups. And each of them handle different genres. And they have different teams of editors underneath all of them. Mm-hmm. And so imprints, some of them don't take manuscripts that are not agented. I would say a huge majority in publishing in major and I'm sorry what is an imprint it's a division so it's like a division that represents certain genres so Penguin okay. Random House or you know Grand Central you. Publishing have the, the these other divisions that handle that so um so yeah I would say it gets you in the door it gets you to the right people it's like one more gatekeeper that can kind of open those doors for you um The other benefit is that you have someone who knows what the market looks like, so they can advise your edits before it even goes to a publishing house on what's trending and what's okay and what's going, what, where the market is shifting, what the, what the winds look like for the day. And um, the other benefit is really that they manage 
all of your rights. So books, those are your those are your publishing rights to sell to sell that you give to a publisher whenever you're selling the book. But there's also sub rights. What if your book wants to, it should be a movie? What if your uh, your book should be a television show? What if you want to do an audio, audio book? Um, mm-hmm. All of those rights and negotiating them can fall on your agent. Mm-hmm. And so, or international rights. Most of the time when publishers pick up, they don't always pick up for international distribution. They pub, they might pick for the US, they might pick for English speaking countries only. Um, there's different variations. And so your agent then has the right to take it to, I don't know, Italy and say, I'm talking to an Italian agent and now your book is going to be translated in those countries. So that's the benefit of having an agent is that a lot of doors do open. They get a commission if you have an agent um, for every project that you land, they don't make money unless you make money. So Mm -hmm. that's their incentive. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. um, but that also gives them incentive to get you a better deal. Yeah. So how does someone with a full-time job, a full-time podcast, also the podcast host of the woke Daisy, uh, find time to write and have a whole separate writing career? I cry a lot. And um, no, I just, um, no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I think I think the priorities shift for day to day. The podcast is not something I try to do every single day. It kind of happens that way, but it's not like I have to dedicate two hours every day to the podcast or two hours every day to writing. Some days it's I need to get to a thousand words on this book and that's all I can do. Or other mm-hmm. times it's, oh my God, my day job was a 12 hour day and I cannot even breathe right now. So I am not going to do podcast or writing. It's really variant on day to day and just being gentle with yourself on what you get done and knowing that you're holding a lot in your hands and just trying to make sure all of them are in a good place, but not worrying that they have to hit perfection. Yeah. What are some of the things that you've had to sacrifice along the way? I feel like we see so many amazing women doing multi-hyphenated things, but we don't always know the things they've had to sacrifice, right? Whether it's their free time or time with friends and family um, or things like that. So have you had to make any sacrifices along the way? I'm actually really glad that you asked that question, (laughs) if you want the honest to God truth. I think it's really important to highlight that because we always look at these so social media is just a highlight reel, right? So we look at people's accomplishments and assume that they're doing everything perfectly when the truth is that they probably lost quite a lot on the way too. And mm-hmm. for me, one of the things that takes a hit every time is a lot of the self-care practices that I used to be able to do on a regular basis. My my biggest flaw, I think, too, it, with regard to balance, this ever-elusive idea of balance, is that... Um, like working out, taking care of myself, taking time to make dinner um, on my own, all of those things kind of take a backseat sometimes based on how stressed out I am. And even nighttime routines, nighttime skincare routines, all of those things, if I'm tired and I fall asleep on the couch, you can bet that I'm not going to go stop in the bathroom and do 10 minutes of skincare routine before I go to bed. So Mm -hmm. all of those, and then eventually like your mental health takes a hit because of that too. So it's kind of those are probably actually mental health is a hard one for me. I'm, I'm not even going to lie about that. It's the first time I've really said that to anybody, but um, it's my mental health takes a monstrous hit on a regular basis because that is a lot to carry. And it's been a reckoning this, this summer. So it took a lot of conversations with my loved ones and my partners and everything that I'm doing to say, I'm not in a place where I can do this right now. I need you to, to take more responsibility, take this off my hands, delegate, whatever. Um, until I can operate because I I can't 
keep going. I, I'm too tired to keep going and, and I'm feeling like I'm cracking. And that was, it was really hard to even have to admit that, but those days do come. So I would say that was probably it. it all of this is wonderful and beautiful. And I love being a hyphenated successful person, but it comes at quite a lot of loss sometimes too, if you don't know how to balance. And some days I honestly don't. Um, the other sacrifice is obviously just time with loved ones. Um, there's a lot of days where the summer, especially when I was trying to turn in book two, um, before we were recording listeners, we were talking about how I just turned in book two, two weeks ago. And it was very, very late, like an ungodly amount of time of wait. Um, and so trying to get that done actually cost me a lot of nights where I would have hung out with my family or my friends because I just said I have them on deadline, I'm on deadline and I couldn't get to hang out with them. So that's also a tip that I take a lot. Um, and, and sometimes it's travel. Sometimes it's a lot of personal time with, with loved ones. I think that. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that here. I appreciate you feeling safe enough to do that on this platform. It's, it's very big of you. You know, people don't talk about it enough and don't highlight it enough. And it, it is why I intentionally wanted to bring up this conversation. I, personally don't have a full-time job and I still feel like I'm always falling behind. So I'm always in awe of others that do it all. But I'm very aware that, you know, no one can do it all at the same time because there is just only that much time and energy and time does have its limitations and bandwidth. And like you said, every day you're kind of choosing. So something's got to give, right? And in your case, it seems like it was the downtime and the self-care and the mental health. And that does add up. It does add up and it does take a toll. So there are sacrifices. And while the success is very sweet and beautiful, no pain, no gain, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, I just think it's important to have that conversation, especially as more and more women step into being a multi-hyphenate. It's wonderful. And, you know, everyone should pursue that path if that's what they feel so inclined. But it is a it's a constant seesaw. It's a constant balance. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, kudos to you for even owning it. And hopefully now that you have submitted your second book, you can make a little bit more time for yourself and um, catch up on, you know, missed things and invest more in self-care. We are big on self-care over here <laughs> on Always Aligning. So I'm hoping that you are taking that time that you so rightly deserve. Thank you. Yeah, you mentioned just now something that was so important was just the knowing that, you know, every woman has the right to become a multi-hyphenate and you also have to go in with your eyes open. And I, I think that that's so important. One of the, I wish to God that I could remember who even said this to me, but one of the examples I think of on a regular basis is someone had mentioned, it's like you have 10 arms and you're carrying, you're juggling a bunch of different balls that are either plastic or glass. And mm. if you drop the glass ones, those are most likely, those priorities are the ones that are most likely going to shatter. That might be something like your health. Or if you have children, if you drop the ball on taking care of them, that has some pretty awful consequences. But on the other hand, there's some things that are plastic that we think are glass that aren't actually going to break if you drop them. And yeah. it's okay to sometimes say, oh my God, that thing, it's, it's okay if you just drop it and you're like, I'll just pick it up later. Um, and I think that that's a really good example of realizing how many different things women do juggle and how we do prioritize differently and how some things change and how you're going to drop the ball and you have to be gentle and you have to realize, okay, it's okay. I'm just going to go pick it right back up uh, when I have a second. And then also recognizing which ones are actually the ones that are going to shatter. 
And at any given time, not there is never a point where every single one of them is glass. Mm-hmm. And it's really yep. important to recognize that because yep. otherwise you're going to lose your mind. And that was something that going along with what I was saying earlier with the struggle was something I had to realize this summer. Not everything is glass. It's really okay. Yeah. I would also love for us to get to a point where we don't use this expression of dropping the ball because whoever came up with it was really not living a real modern day life. You know, what is dropping the ball? No, no person that I know wants to drop the ball on being the best mom and the best at their job and the most passionate with their side hustle and, you know, shower in bath salts and serum at night. Nobody I know wants that, right? But it's it's a constant balance of choices like I wonder if I can start a revolution of saying hey let's stop talking about dropping the ball and just start talking about the balls that we want to choose for that very given day that very season in your life right I mean after having lived whatever life I've lived, I've recognized that life comes in seasons. There are seasons of busy and there are seasons of slowing down, you know, which kind of coincide with what Ayurveda teaches us, right? Pata, kapha, pitta, you go through these seasons and we even go through that motion in a day. You know, when it's nighttime, you need to sleep, you need to rest. When you wake up, you're rising from your slumber and in the middle of the day, you're doing all of these things. So similarly, our life also goes through these seasons in days weeks, months, and years. So it's not about dropping the ball. It's about choosing the ball that you want to use and and knowing and trusting that the other balls are there for you when you are ready for them, right? I love that. It's so cyclical. Mm-hmm. It's so cyclical. Yeah. I love that. It's just such a great way to think about the fact that intensity does not need to be sustained for success. Movement forward doesn't have to come a million miles an hour every single time. It can come in small steps forward and you can always take breaks and you're still further along than you were before as long as you just get up whenever the time is right and keep moving and it's one of those things that you don't have to constantly feel like you have to hold the bar and one of the things that I always think about too recently especially especially through the pandemic let's be real is the fact that our bar for excellence changes to our bar for what our best looks like day to day changes. Some days you wake up and you're like, I am a million bucks. I can do it all. And I am a champion of all the things. And some days you wake up and you're like, oh dear God, I have to go to work. And it's really important to honor those things. And it's really important to just sit down and say, okay, you know what? I feel like crap today. I'm going to do my best. And my best might look very less than it did yesterday when I felt like I was at the top of my game, but it's okay. It's still my best regardless. Right. And we have to change that, that entire mentality around that too, because it doesn't give us enough forgiveness and grace for ourselves. It just keeps making us push into a place that's unhealthy. And I don't, it really bothers me that I've done it. And I, and I feel sorry sometimes when I realize how many women are doing the same things to themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's not your fault or our fault. It's also, patriarchal society and the structure that's been set up that tells us that no matter what we're going through, we have to show up at work at 9am. It's like, no, dude, I just got my period and I need to take the day off, right? Like these things are not accounted for in the structure of our society. So we've been fooled into thinking that when we can't be go, go, go and, and have this rhythm every single day that there's something wrong with us or we're weak. No, it's not that we're weak. If anything, we are 
so smart and so intelligent that we're so in tune with our inner workings. And should we have had the opportunity to live a life that lets us honor our inner cycle and inner workings, we would all probably be much more happier, efficient, successful, peaceful, right? All of these wonderful things, which would also impact the rest of society. So I feel like I'm going on a tangent and that's a whole nother conversation, but no, <laughs> the excellence and, and rhythm conversation is definitely a real one. And yes, hopefully pandemic did shed more awareness on that. I definitely see that happening, um, you know, as they're calling this period, the great resignation, for example. So it's there, the awareness is there. It's just a matter, it's just a matter of how does it really integrate into the world that we live in, which hopefully happens sooner than later. <laughs> Annika, before I wind up, I want to know, how do you continue to find alignment in your life? I mean, you're already aligning so much by pursuing your passions and making your dreams come true. But um, how do you continue to find alignment? You actually touched on it earlier. So I think that you actually said it really beautifully, which was that your dharma and your inner voice are often the first instinct that you have. And those are the things that will help you guide you. Those are your North star. That is your compass. That is your strongest guide in whatever it is that you want to pursue. And so if you listen to that, if you tune yourself to that through meditation, for me, it's puja every single day. Um, they, my dad mm -hmm. has taught me a number of different mantras. I'm actually very religious. Not a lot of people know that, but I have a ton of mantras that I say every day that are very grounding. I just believe that they make me internally stronger and much more likely to listen to the compass instead of getting distracted by the noise. And so that would be the greatest element, I think, in aligning all of the things that I'm doing and in aligning my belief in myself and my voice and all that I have left to offer to the world and also knowing that that was what I was born to do. Beautiful, Anika. How can our listeners best connect with you and support the work that you're doing? You can follow me on Instagram at Anika Sharma. That's A-N-N-I-K-A-S-H-A-R-M-A. -A -A um, and I'm sure Ashika will tag you. So it was probably completely unnecessary to spell that out. But you can <laughs> also find me on Facebook and on Twitter. And um, I respond to DMs pretty quickly. So I love connecting with people. If anything that I've said has resonated with you, please reach out. And I would love to have a chat. Um, and with regard to the book, you can go to your local indie. That's actually the best way to support those bookstores as well. But if you can't, if you don't have a local bookstore, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, all of those are great places. And when you buy from authors of color in particular, you're actually telling the publishing world that our stories deserve to be told. Oftentimes, we're probably likely not even going to see money from those sales. It's more just about what that number translates to in terms of impact on our careers and the way that you shape them. So if you are buying our books, then thank you so much because you're making a much greater impact than you even realize. And so if it's not me, that's completely fine, but please find an author of color and buy their book in some form because I promise you it's supporting them more than you know. You are listening to Always Aligning with Ashika, the podcast. 
Don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcast, share this episode with a friend, or subscribe on Apple or Spotify. And be sure to check out Anika Sharma's book, Love Chai and Other Four-Letter Words, available at a bookstore near you, Amazon.com and Bookshop.org. I have linked it in the show notes as well for quick, easy access. I cannot believe I'm about to utter these words, but we are wrapping up 2021 with 2022 approaching just a few weeks away. This is the time of year that I dive deep into reflections, taking stock of my life, auditing all of my personal buckets, and also thinking of my intentionally aligned goals for 2022. I want to share this with you through a solo cast episode with hopes that it's going to help you to prepare for the next year. So be sure to look out for that. Until next time, this is your host Ashika signing off.